Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan, and thanks for being here with us today. Uh, and thanks for joining our ever-evolving program. This is, this is really cool. As you can see, we've got uh, a full screen of bodies in here. Uh, we're going to have all of us on camera all day long uh, for the entire show. So it's going to be um, kind of a conversation. We're going to interview Rob Pedersen of uh, SAC or Strategic Armory Corps. We've got Frank Galley of Sniper's Hide. Of course, Zeb's on here and uh, we fixed his uh, nostril cam. So you actually get a better look at, at Zev now. And uh, I'm here, of course. Um, Cooper's back from her jaunt around Europe. So we're glad to have her here with us and, and she'll be on in a little bit to share a little bit of our social media stuff. And, and I'm going to ask her a few questions about uh, her trip to Europe. What, how exciting that must have been to, to get to spend that time with her mother and, and just explore the world. That's just so exciting. So let's get started right away. We've got a little uh, clip that we want to play uh, of Strategic Armory Corps kind of give you an idea of where they're going and, and the direction they're heading and uh, really exciting for us to have Rob here. So we'll start off with this video clip. All right. And I'm just going to get back to my Zoom here and share my screen. And for those of you on the radio and not realizing what we're doing, Zev has taken a little bit of time. And this video is going to be a short video of basically an overview of the new uh, Strategic Armory Corps uh, facility. Uh, it's going to sh show some of their really impressive equipment. And, and Rob's got a little bit of uh, talk to, to kind of introduce and run through it. All and right. So you might hear a little bit of silence, but just remember we're running this as a video podcast and you can jump over to Facebook and watch us live if you like to do that. It, it, it would make more sense. And I am going to defer this for later because it's not coming up on my Zoom screen. So another one of those small little technical difficulties, but we will get it back together shortly. And as I said, our ever-evolving process here. So uh, <laughs> we, we missed that opportunity, but at some point, I'm sure Zev will figure it out and we'll get to run that. So uh, I'm going to introduce Rob Pedersen. Rob, thanks for being here with us. Glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for having us. So... Um, Kind of give our listeners and viewers uh, a little idea about who you are, uh, how you got where you are today, and, and with SAC and a little bit of your background. Yeah, so uh, start off with Strategic Armory Corps. Uh, what Strategic Armory Corps is, is it's the parent company of Armalite, Surgeon Rifles, McMillan Firearms, AWC Suppressors, and Nexus Ammunition. Uh, was kind of put together under the understanding of, you know, to be that one-stop shop. Uh, for the consumer. Uh, with the five different brands, we have five different sales channels or ways that we sell product. Um, you know, we, with the ammunition and the suppressors and the, the three other premium firearms brands that we have, it's just a nice little uh, caveat and it has synergy together so we can pair up ammunition, suppressors, and rifles all as one package. Well, that's interesting. 
And thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, before we go any farther, Zev thinks he's got this. Here we go. There we go. All right. Hey, guys. Rob Pedersen here with Strategic Armory Corps. We're here to discuss kind of what Strategic Armory Corps is. We own Armalite rifles, McMillan firearms, surgeon rifles, ABC suppressors, and Nexus ammunition. We're going to take you in the back, show you a little bit of what we have going on as a company and our new state-of-the-art facility. For those who are listening on the radio, what we're looking at in this video is a really impressive train, pallet train, I think they call it, which actually includes four different CNC machines, which pull from uh, pallets from a particular uh, train, uh, for a lack of a better word, do the operations that they need to do on that particular pallet, put it back on the train. It goes down the the uh, the train line to the next machine while it pulls it off and does whatever it does. And the cool thing about this is that it it can run for 24 hours without having anybody have to touch any of the parts. So I think uh, it's one of the best ways that you can get into mass production of high quality components without having the hours and hours of labor that personally, when I ran McMillan fiberglass stocks, People didn't understand how many hours we had in every rifle. And if you can eliminate some of that, then obviously you can sell these uh, rifles at a much more uh, cost-effective price point. Yes. And look at all those ARs getting ready to go. <laughs> Good to see. Zev has got to get into ARs and AKs any chance he gets. He just doesn't understand that nobody cares about that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I got carbine on the line. We're beyond taking stock with Kelly McMillan and talking about this in much greater detail. And there you go. That was it. Okay. I hope that wasn't too painful for the people listening on the radio. I think we did a really good job of, of showing what the video was about. Um, Rob, let's talk about you, though. I want the listeners and the viewers to get to know you better. Start with where you grew up how you got into firearms and in particular uh, the military aspect. Okay. Uh, I mean, that started off uh, my childhood and, and I guess as it, as it relates to, uh, you know, being a shooting enthusiast with the pellet gun in the backyard, uh, just shooting cans, stuff like that. Pretty much like most, uh, most American youth or the way American youth used to grow up. Um, so it went, went kind of developed a, a passion for, you know, like I said, the, the firearms uh, side of things as a, as a child and then went to uh, went through high school, uh, was on the wrestling team. I think that kind of helped. Uh, and in my opinion, I think uh, the, the wrestling team as a whole, I mean, I, I know a lot of former uh, scout snipers, current scout snipers, current uh, uh, recon seals. Usually that's the sport that it, the commonality that everybody did in high school, for some reason, it gives you that angst and that drive. So, you know, while I was in my junior, in between my junior and senior year in high school, I actually, you know, you get the recruiters that come into your high school. I actually filled out a, uh, a pamphlet to join the Coast Guard, oddly enough. And I thought that that would be a good fit for me. One, because I grew up in New Jersey uh, and I did a lot of fishing. And I was like, man, what a cool quote unquote military career would it be to be on a, a Coast Guard boat and, and fish for four years? 
Um, well, the Marine Corps recruiter called me back because I literally filled out a pamphlet for every all, every service. I just knew I wanted to go in this service. So the Marine Corps recruiter called me back, picked me up on a Saturday, and I, I was kind of thinking to myself, Saturday, you know, what's this guy doing working on the weekend? Well, the recruiters at that time, they were so hungry to meet quotas. They were like, okay, I'm scooping this guy up. I got a hot one. <laughs> so he brings me down to the uh, to Red Bank, New Jersey, to the recruiter station. He brings out the little tiles, uh, you know, the, the the recruiter tiles that they do. And anybody who went in the Marine Corps kind of knows what I'm talking about. And I said, hey, you can save it. Like, you know, where do I sign? I just want to go in. He was like, well, what do you want to do? I was like, I don't really care. I just, <laughs> just want to go to the military. Because my dad was, uh, my dad was former Army. Um, you know, he, he kind of, it looked a slight eye at me for going to the Marine Corps. My great uncle Casey, uh, he was a Marine. Um, that's how I even knew what the Marines were in my childhood. Um, and there's actually a flag, a pretty famous picture. It's on, uh, Google, uh, it's Mount Saribachi, the flag raising. And my great uncle Casey is actually in that photo, uh, from the flagpole as you're looking at it, two to three heads to the right. His name's Casey Casado. Um, but went to the Marine Corps, uh, not really knowing what I was going to be doing other than they said, you're going in O3 infantry. I was like, okay, well, I'll go in O3 infantry. Went to school of infantry, graduated as a mortarman. And I was like, okay, well, this is interesting. Let's learn some some stuff about, you know, mortarman type work. Decided that wasn't really for me. Got assigned as a Ford Observer. Did the Ford Observer thing for a while, which what Ford Observers are for the, for the public. Um, they essentially are looking through binoculars and spotting the splash of these indirect fire rounds. And what an indirect fire round is, it goes up and it comes down. And sometimes the reach of these indirect fire weapons are so... They have such a great reach that you're shooting over hilltops and over defilet and all this other stuff. So you need a forward observer out there actually spotting where these rounds impact. Well, I kind of did that for a little bit and decided that wasn't for me. Um, I took the NDOC for Scout Sniper Platoon uh, with 2nd Battalion, 6 Marines. And at the time, my gunny, uh, he's probably listening, Frank Ferrante, uh, he didn't want me to go because... I was going to be carried, catered to be one of the leadership in the mortar platoon. And I was like, well, I can't, I can't really do this. Um, need to, need to challenge myself. So I went to, went to sniper platoon, uh, pretty much finished out my career, um, doing that. Uh, did, of course, when I went in in 2000, not a whole lot was going on, you know, it was, you're going to see the world and, you know, get college paid for and all that stuff. Nine eleven happened. We were actually in at Fort Bragg, um, doing a, a mortar, uh, uh, mu workup rather. Um, so we're doing, uh, everybody was doing their own little section, uh, activity and training to work up for this Marine expeditionary unit, which was coming, uh, coming up. Uh, my roommate, Corey, he actually was with one six. I was with two six right after nine 11 happened. They had already been through their mu workup. He got deployed. He come back six months later, second battalion, six Marines and the, the 24th me relieved uh, one six. And then we're, we're well on our way to a pretty, uh, pretty frequent uh, deployment schedule or op tempo at that point in time. Um, so that was, that pretty much was my, my military career. You know, you're supposed to do at least two deployments in a Marine Corps. Uh, at least that's what the recruiter told me. Uh, I ended up doing three, uh, but it was a good time. It wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. So, you were an 8541. Yes, I, I was an 8541. Okay. 
you know, you'll hear 8541-0317, and I'm you know, sure Frank can attest to this, like 8541s at the time, Scout Sniper was a secondary MOS. So it being a secondary MOS, if I was to get out and get recalled for whatever reason, they would recall me as an 0341 because that's what I went in and got into the infantry battalion as was an 0341. The 8541 aspect, even though I hadn't touched anything mortar related with the exception of calling for fire uh, for three years, I'd still get recalled as a mortarman and expect to know how to do that job. I know I hadn't done it for three years. Yeah, let's hope that doesn't happen. Who yeah. wants to be a mortarman? <laughs> <laughs> There's some good basically folks. basically what you said to begin with. Um, so when did you get out? I got out in 2004, uh, August 22nd, 2004. Um, worked, worked back in the Union for a little while back in New Jersey, cutting concrete. Um, was making some good money doing that in between my junior and senior in high school. Bought some ridiculous toys, Harleys, classic cars, all that stuff. Yeah. Let's uh, let's get Frank in on this. Uh, Frank, you've been on the show before. As a matter of fact, your show was one of the most listened to shows that we've ever had. Uh, hence, getting you back on the show was really exciting for me. Uh, it showed me that a lot of people really liked what you had to say. But let's just assume that all the listeners today didn't hear the last show. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into the Marines, where you were at, kind of the same type of scenario that Rob just went through. Pretty similar. I mean, I'm from Connecticut originally, Bridgeport. So, you know, same thing growing up, went to the recruiter uh, in high school. I went to a tech school. So I was really going, getting groomed to be an electrician. And, and, you know, the recruiter comes in, I signed up delayed entry, like a lot of people did back then. I went in, uh, you know, initially, I went to infantry training school, I did the recon in doc, and then went to ARS. And then down in Key West at the final op, I kind of got into a little beef with a lieutenant down there. And my punishment was back to the grunts. Uh, he was second recon battalion. I was supposed to go to second recon battalion. I was one or not one, two yet. I was still kind of transit. I didn't have a parent uh, unit. So then when I got to one, two, the, they were redoing the Statue of Liberty for uh, reopening the Statue of Liberty with Reagan. So uh, one, two, it just got back from Okinawa and there was nobody there. So they said, okay, you know, you're going to tiger cruise up to New York city. And there happened to be two guys from stay. And I said, you know, as we floated up and being from Connecticut, New York, that whole thing, I said, Hey, I'll take you guys out, but I want to go to stay. And they're like, okay, cool. And we hung out and the whole cruise back up to New York on uh, Austin. And, um, you know, they, they were true to their word. That was, I was a PFC. That was July of 1986. I was in the October class of 1986, which would be like 187 uh, with the new calendar year. And I ended up being the, you know, a PFC in sniper school. One, two sent one other Marine uh, to be my partner. and He actually failed out. So, you know, then I went to state platoon and we were the first special operations capable uh, unit. It was a mild and a mu. We were originally, the, the, it changed halfway. You know, they couldn't make, we called it spread over continents because they couldn't make up their mind <laughs> where they wanted us to go. But then the Gulf flared up. Uh, Persian Gulf was happening. The Iran-Iraq war was just kicking in. So then I became part of Ernest Will, which was reflagging the Kuwaiti tankers. Um, you know, because uh, the Iranians were attacking them all the time. And then uh, one of our ships in our battle group hit a mine, and that was the Roberts. 
So then it became from earnest will to Operation Praying Mantis. And we ended up taking down a bunch of the oil platforms. It's kind of funny because it's the, it's the largest naval battle since World War II at the time. And this was in 1988 because there was such a big battle group, including the Enterprise. Um, you know, the Iranians shot like six silkworm missiles at us and, you know, all the, the dancing around. And we ended up sinking half the Iranian Navy <laughs> and then landing on the go plats. Both of them? Uh, yeah, exactly. It was because, you know, our intel, they would always repaint the numbers. So they'd bring the the, uh, the boat into port and they change the number on the boat and then send it back out because they really only had two. <laughs> but so that was my career. And then, I, you know, I went to Okinawa, Team Spirit, the whole thing, like a lot of us did. And then, you know, got out. Uh, I was an electrician for a lot of years and then became a private investigator back in uh, Connecticut, and New York but started Sniper's Hide, um, uh, being the owner of Sniper's Hide, for those that don't know, I started that in 2000. And then when, you know, 9-11 happened, Sniper's Hide became really popular. It became that, you know, repository for information. And a lot of people were coming there and gleaning a lot of different things. One thing led to another. I was working down rifles only training. And, you know, the rest is kind of the, the, the typical story now with me. Uh, you know, having that background and teaching classes to this day. Frank, I, I had a question real quick uh, about nomenclature. Maybe you can answer the first one, which is uh, for our viewers, what does STACE stand for and what do you guys do? And then I wanted to ask Rob if you can delineate the difference between a hog and a pig. <laughs> we called STACE. STACE stood for Steel Take and Acquire. But, okay. um, it's Sun, Suntan Association. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, it's surveillance and target acquisition. So there's a surveillance component because we had ground radar at the time and it was mainly for the deserts where they can set up the radar and the guys with headphones can listen if somebody comes in and then target acquisition was us. And part of the, that either became sniping or forward observer as uh, Rob was saying, I went to forward observer school through ARS in Little Creek, but then I also went to Camp Hansen's in Okinawa's forward observer school too. So there, there was a big uh, call for fire component to being a scout sniper when we were in, um, in, in, you know, but then we ended up trading in our M40s for ARs and, you know, MP5s for the oil platforms. We only used one guy in a helicopter with an M40. Everybody else was kind of fed into force. Uh, we didn't have recon battalion assets. We only had a platoon of force. So the next thing you know, you're a door kicker. Right. So, so, Rob, when you sit back, I think our viewers could see that uh, bullet that you have there, and that's the uh, that signifies that you were a hog, right? Yeah. And what does that actually mean? And so, when you get you get into, there's always like battles to get, you know, your your choice in the pecking order, I guess. Uh, one of those being, you know, when I took the indoc for sniper platoon, you know, there's so many people that take the indoc. There's only so many that get chosen. Uh, and sure, Frank went through. The, Frank went through the exact same process. So you get, you know, kind of weeded out to get into the platoon. You get into platoon, then you get trained, usually by school trained fellas. They'll train you up, and then they'll select who gets that quota for scout sniper school. So then, once you go through scout sniper school, then you graduate. You get your hog student. But to answer your question. Uh, when you're a pig, you're a professionally instructed gunman is, you know, the acronym. When you graduate sniper school and you get your hogs to, 
you're considered a hunter of human. Thank you. And I actually predated the hog's tooth. I have mine right there behind me on the on the lamp as well. But we did we got a ceramic skull that somebody's wife made that was a lamp that had the bullet in the forehead. And and it was funny because this predated, I think hog came from the West Coast, if I'm not mistaken. And and so being an East Coast guy, we didn't have that. And so, yeah, it was, it was, it was a little bit different for my day. Cause I'm a, I'm slightly older than Rob, but, um, it, it all kind of comes around. You know, that was a great question. And I was going to ask the same thing. And the reason that stay really popped into my mind is because when you and I met Rob, you were working for a, a company called STA. Yes. And we actually hired your company to do some, training classes for McMillan Firearms. So uh, talk about that uh, experience to, that you had. Yeah, so I, when I, after I got out of the Marine Corps and moved out to Arizona, I moved out here to go to that Motorcycle Mechanics Institute. I figured, okay, I need something to, to spend my GI Bill on. <laughs> uh, so I, I had a passion for motorcycles, went through the school, a year and a half, graduated. I graduated my PhD. Uh, it stands for Professional Harley Davidson but it sounds much better when I say PhD. Uh, and then after, you know, working at a gun club for a little while, I kind of linked up with a fellow that, that owned a sniper school out here. At the time, it was called McMillan Sniper School. Uh, we used to do a lot of the training um, for you. This is kind of when we first had our uh, interactions, doing the shop tours and stuff the first day of the classes. And it was just kind of a neat thing to offer a lot of the students is, and, you know, it had a little bit of a special place in my heart because when we first came through, we were doing the tours and I was like, man, this is McMillan, you know, in sniper school, sniper platoon, you're like, okay, your rifle is a McMillan stock. And I just, it was drilled into my head uh, with respect to what the nomenclature was. But as we're kind of going through the shop, it was kind of neat you'd see a lot of the M40A1 takeoffs uh, and see a lot of the M40A3 stocks being made, at least at my era. Um, you know, so that was kind of awesome because they sent all the takeoff A1s back. There was pallets and trifles sitting full of them. That's of course, cool. I, I dug through a couple of them trying to see if I could find my particular gun, but. <laughs> That's funny. Kelly just had to egress for a moment uh, to take care of something on the other side. Um, I wanted to also share how you and I met, and uh, I was in a tour company. I owned a tour company here in Scottsdale called Desert Wolf Tours, and I walked into a store called Desert Rats to buy a high center jack, and there was Rob, and he had that bullet around his neck, and I introduced myself, and he introduced himself, and I asked him, is this what you do all the time? And he said, well, no, I also uh, teach people in a sniper school, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, right, you know. And, you know, he had some nice tattoos and stuff, but, you know, I didn't believe him just because he said that. Well, anyways, about a month, month and a half, maybe two months later, uh, the fellow that owns the range where Rob was teaching invited me to take an open slot in a course. And it was a five-day, uh, uh, they called it a sniper course, but for me it was really precision rifle. And um, that's where Rob showed up. And I'm like, holy shit, he's my instructor. I'm in trouble now. <laughs> you thought I was going to forget your name, too. Yeah. <laughs> so is he the one that told you you were a, an hour of angle shooter? No, that was his buddy. That was Minute, minute of Darn Barn Door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so much laughter. Better buildings, Zev. <laughs> right. So let's get back to uh, Strategic Armory Corps. And, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with that company, uh, I sold the rifle company to Strategic Armory Corps in, in 2013. Uh, and that was towards the end of the year. They had a really good plan and they were going to implement this one-stop shopping. And uh, at the same time, they purchased uh, Surgeon. And I think actually about a year before, um, Mark Johnson had purchased Surgeon. And one of the first things that he did was got uh, about a 750 rifle order from... I don't know. Yes, you do. You worked for him. Oh, tracking, tracking point. point. Tracking point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they and, got that order before I arrived there. Yeah. yeah. But but that kind of turned Surgeon into a rifle company as opposed to an action manufacturing company, which is what they were before. Even though they always built rifles, they might have built, you know, 20 or 30 a year or so. But they really were better known as a custom action company. And then I think Mark had some personal feelings about, you know, creating this surgeon rifle company out of nothing. And so I, I really think that he looked at surgeon to be far more of a rifle company than I think most people in the industry thought of it because Hardly anybody knew anything about Surgeon as a rifle company simply because they did 700 guns for one company. Right. Um, and so it seemed as when Mark first started running the company, there really wasn't room in the organization for both McMillan and Surgeon, even though they kept both rifle companies. And I'm talking about this just strictly from my point of view. And this was before you worked for him, Rob. So yeah. I shouldn't be offending you at all by this. No. <laughs> um, but I don't think that they did a very good job of using the McMillan brand and building on that. Uh, and so uh, for the first three years, uh, Strategic Armory Corps really didn't, especially as it relates to McMillan Firearms, I don't think they did a very good job of of building that brand and working with it. Things happened. A new owner comes in uh, about a year ago around SHOT Show time. Yes. And from everything I've seen, they've made big strides to not only – make Strategic Armory Corps everything that we had envisioned it might be when they first started making deals because they're, they've got a great new facility as the video showed. They've got tremendous um, technology and equipment to produce big numbers and to be able to do that, which, you know, when you put Armalite in the mix, that was a big number. Uh, not so much with Surgeon and, and McMillan even the two combined, you couldn't consider them a large manufacturing uh, entity. But I think that the new owners are doing some great things. And I think that they finally are starting to understand where the surgeon um, model belongs and where the McMillan brand should be used. And I think they're making great strides to build what we had all hoped from the very beginning. Yeah, there's certainly going to be a distinction between the two brands with, uh, you know, we, of course we have the McMillan TAC 50, uh, 
it's, you know, king of the battlefield as far as distance is concerned. Uh, we've got the, you know, surgeon is taking a lot more uh, market share as it pertains to the LE market. Uh, pretty much the entire state of Arizona uh, we're, are all running the Surgeon CSR package as the new standard. Uh, and we do quite a bit internationally with the McMillan brand. So that's that's a good thing for us as well. Okay, it looks like we've got a couple Your of mic, Kelly? It looks like we've got a couple of questions from Facebook to answer. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a commercial break for all of you listening on the radio Stick with us for the next minute and a half or two minutes, and we'll be right back. For those on Facebook, as you know, we'll still be here. We'll, we'll do, a, do a little banter back and forth, but uh, we'll be right back for you radio guests. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. For over 40 years, McMillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gunstock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, McMillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the McMillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at McMillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacMillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacMillanUSA.com. We're talking big game adventures this week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav. While most seasons are still months away, that doesn't mean we can't start preparing for our fall pursuits right now. Joining us is Jenna Waller, host of Skullbound TV, Derek Ratliff, president and founder of Horizon Firearms, plus Tom and Nick of Become One. It's presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Friday afternoons at 1 Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right from high school to the pros we, we cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports you are listening to taking stock with kelly mcmillan now back to the show uh, thanks to everyone for sticking around and uh, joining us for the second half of the show. Uh, that was a great uh, job, Zev, and 
perfect timing. I was afraid you were going to run long, but uh, you did a good job. Um, so what we didn't mention was that you're going to be there with target vision and you're going to have target vision cameras there. I know a lot of people are talking about this and especially for extreme long range shooting, there's really nothing out there on the market that allows you to do what it does and Absolutely. really feel strongly about having it on ELRHQ.com. So here's an opportunity for the guys that are going to be at the match. They can check it out because they're going to be using them. They're going to be using it at the match. And actually, Valdina Ranch has a lot of other activities that go on there. So it won't just be the 40 or so shooters that are signed up, but it's going to be folks from all over different ranges coming in to check out Target Vision. And it's going to be, it's going to be really cool. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Zev. That's awesome. Uh, so we've got a question from Ride Thomas about which scopes you guys are using. Um, just to, to kind of quantify this, Frank, I know you're involved in all kinds of shooting. PRS, you do training, long, and you're instrumental in ELR. So let's start with you. And if it takes a, a multi-answer to answer this question, Let's give Ride as much information as we can. Sure. Um, my top three for scopes are uh, Night Force, Schmidt and & Bender, and Vortex. Those are the ones I tend to gravitate to. Uh, it, it used to be heavy on the Schmidt side, and now Night Force sort of kind of, you know, I'm, I'm running a lot more of those. But then right next to it is my Schmidt & Benders. For the ELR stuff, either the 5 to 45 or the 3 to 27 with the high revs gives you that 32 to 36 mil adjustment. And same thing with the Night Force now has that 32 on up. And then Vortex with the Gen 2 Razors or the AMG, uh, that gives me that 28 to 32, 34 mil of adjustment within those scopes as well. So I'm kind of going beyond the, the, the 15, 20, 26 mil adjustment scopes to the biggers that are 28s to 36s. You know, I'm really glad you mentioned Vortex because we've done a lot of research and we know people involved with, with Vortex and, and get a lot of feedback from the F-Class guys about how good the Vortex scopes are, which is why we sell them on an ELRHQ.com. I mean, we're, we're firm believers in, in Night Force. Uh, we think Vortex offers a really good scope. And for a lot of guys who are an entry-level kind of guy who needs to get something to get on their scope, we also carry Cytron, and we're getting a lot of good feedback about that. Don't know if you've had any experience with it, but all the feedback that we've got from our champions and the people that have tested them, really good feedback. Yeah, I limited uh, with Cytron. It's always a big d discussion uh, with Cytron. There's a lot of fans of it, and I know they have some new products coming out. And we'll be we'll be playing with that when that stuff comes out. But it, it, it's amazing how many people are big fans, especially in the F class world and bench rest with Citron. And that's going to start trickling into what we do. Uh, so I know there's going to be more coming in that direction. Terrific, Rob. How about you? Uh, just to echo what Frank said. I mean, as far as the brands he mentioned, if it's going to be robust and actually you know hold up to the uh, you know the abuse you're going to put it through. I mean. A lot of these guys shooting these kind of matches, let's be honest, uh, they're not going to be toting them around and probably banging them a whole lot. But still, it's a quality of an optic you should take into consideration, even if it's, you know, recoil-based, you know, with a lot of these magnum calibers and calibers that are reaching out to that distance, you need to make sure that your equipment is going to hold up to that recoil. Um, but as a, as a caveat, yet again to what Frank said, 
one quality is to make sure that its internal adjustment uh, has enough available adjustment within it to where you can, you know, dial up to distance, you know, as a fit, as a more direct way of putting the crosshair on the target and not having to do any kind of holdover technique within reason. I mean, you may run out of adjustment and still need to add the reticle to dialed adjustments. But if you set your equipment up for success from the beginning, you know, you're just going to be better for it in the long run. Hey, Frank, have you had any experience with the Charlie Tarek? You know, that's the one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the one solution to running out of elevation, which at two miles, everything out there runs out of. Even the guys with 120 minutes, that's that's 60 minutes short of what they really need. Yeah, I, I went to Felix Canyon in November and we shot to 4,000. Uh, and I used the Charlie Tarek. Uh, you know, we call it the taco unit. Um, <laughs> I use the taco uh, I love it. I think John's a great guy. Even the AR stuff he has that makes gives you that more adjustment. He has little tiny flip ups, but the um the taco unit I had on with a three to twenty seven Schmidt, I, I was point of aim, point of impact with my hundred yard zero out to four thousand meters. Then when we came into thirty two and twenty six, we just made the adjustments on the fly with it, and you know I never ran out of adjustment with anything like that. So, I mean, the, the Felix Canyon one was a 338 shooting at 4,000 with factory rifle and factory ammo was the goal. And that Charlie unit just took us out there from, like I said, 100 yards zero. We used a 300 MOA version. And so that's what gave us that. And then we dialed it back and we were able to uh, make the adjustment down to 32 and then 26. When we were first exposed to that, Kelly said jump on it and, you know, carry that in our store and we do and for those who don't know much about it it's basically like a periscope and it goes right in front of your scope either on a rail or on a magnetic mount on the end of the scope and uh, you can order it with a set amount of MOA that you want on it so for instance right before SHOT Show uh, we were out with uh, at Pahrump for the for the longest challenge back then and the next day I went with Paul Phillips out to a range where we actually shot 41.25 because his, uh, his Tarek was a 300 MOA one and the solution called for 398 minutes. And he never would have gotten that unless he had that 300 there. And the point of it was it went up to about 1,000 feet before it came back down. That's how far. And he hit it on the six-shot cold bore. So that was pretty cool. It, it, and I have an interview with John that I did at King of Two Mile when you guys were down there. Uh, I, I with David Tubb and, and, and John was over there and we were talking to them while you guys were finishing up the shoot. Uh, I, I think it is a game changer in a way for ELR shooting. It's, it's the least expensive thing in the entire package next to rings. Right. You know, when you look at your scope, your rifle, your barrels and all that stuff, the Charlie unit is 1500 bucks and it's giving you this ability to shoot that 4,000 with your hundred yard zero. So how can you beat it? You know, I'm afraid Frank does what everybody else does and just kind of makes the assumption that, yeah, the stocks really don't matter. We won't even throw them in there as part of the gun. Now, even a beast with a three-way adjustable butt plate and built for this is under $1,500. And I will tell you, I'm, I'm honest about this, if you don't have the right platform, the right stock, you're just not going to be successful. 
And when you're putting 38 inch barrels on there that weigh 16 or 17 pounds, just for the barrel, another four or five pounds in a receiver and you're supporting it on a bipod. Those things are important, Frank. Yeah. I, well, I, I'm terrible at retail. I don't, I, I'm like so bad at what people are paying retail wise. Uh, so I, I apologize for that. Then in the stock That's okay. matter, absolutely. You yeah. can't have any movement or flex in that system. The bedding, the whole thing has to be money. And, and, you know, we've been the, the McMillan fans forever is, is stuff like that. So it, it, it's kind of, <laughs> yeah. And I was just giving you a hard time. I know. One thing that I do want to point out, and we were talking about scopes. I love to tell these little anecdotes that people have never heard of probably. And people don't know that the, that the reason that the, the Mark four exists is because back in the late eighties, when my dad was building bolt action, 50 cows, there wasn't a scope on the market that wouldn't come apart under recoil. And so he went to loophole because at that time, no night force, they were really one of the few scope companies in town that had the kind of warranty that my dad believed in, which they've always had. They're really great about if something happens to one of their products, them taking care of it and taking care of the customer. So he went to them and, and he worked with them to design the Mark IV specifically for the 50 cal so it would stay together and so for almost 15 years we didn't sell anything on a 50 cal except a mark four so we we've it. had a long history in in scopes we had the I, we had the daisy or they were average johnson but we had the daisy 50 cal in the marine corps the first ones and they had the ones from your dad the ultras mm-hmm. and um that was that series for the 50 cal so uh that was 86 that we got them and you had to pull the bolt out. You put the 50 cal round on it and the whole thing went in weighed yep. 35 pounds. And, and that had coming out of your, your house, the, the Leopold ultras. Yep. That was the M 86 with the shell holder bolt, which is now known as, um, Oh shoot. What? I can't forget. I forget the name of the guy who rock has made, uh, those actions for, and, and most, most people in the competition world, know it by his name rather than as a shell holder but uh just a great story and and as a lot of people know my dad started his own scope business and produced uh vision master scopes and the his great claim to fame in that was he took the um light intensifier tube from uh, a lit night vision unit and screwed it onto the back of his scope and turned a day vision scope into a night vision scope just by changing the eyepiece. So that was a really cool item. Uh, Rob, let's talk some more about uh, Strategic Armory Corps, where they're at today, what their plans are, uh, what we can expect from them going forward, because they've got great products. And uh, I want to be able to talk and, and get people interested in what they're doing again. So within, uh, you know, Armalite particularly, uh, there's a little bit of a, you know, call it a frenzy over black guns right now. They are 15 more markets picked kind of back up, um, which it's, we were all looking forward to it, what the new normal year looked like. Uh, unfortunately, we're not going to see that this year. Um, but, you know, within Armalite, we're kind of keeping our nose clean. Uh, we've got some good products. We've got, we're the original AR 
manufacturer. So we're going to be keeping our nose clean this year. We're coming out with some new products at the NRA show as a, a late year release. And we're really focused on what we need to do for 2019, looking that far ahead. Within the production capability, we've kind of got all of that dialed in. I'm just kind of honing all of our processes. And as another side note, you know, Armalite used to be out of Geneseo, Illinois. Uh, it's now a Phoenix-based company. So we just made that move from Illinois to Phoenix. Surgeons moving from Oklahoma to Phoenix. Nexus is already in Phoenix. AWC is already in Phoenix. And obviously, McMillan's been in Phoenix. Any new products out? Um, anything we can look forward to that's a little bit different than what we've seen in the past? Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, launching some alternative calibers within the uh, Armalite brands. We've got some new things we're working on for AWC. A uh, lot of new ideas getting kicked around for the McMillan line uh, to kind of echo what I said earlier about except, you know, creating that distinction. And we've got some new stuff on the drawing board with uh, the surgeon line. Um, yeah, as obviously, you know, Jack Oliver, Kelly, uh, we're keeping him pretty busy. <laughs> Terrific. Um, Frank. Just, I just, can I say one thing to Rob? Sure. Like a hidden gem with AWC, your guy's Thor TI. I have it for years now. One of my favorite cans ever. For a precision rifle, that Thor is just fantastic. And I don't think it gets talked about enough. Um, the cans from AWC. There, there's a lot of really good precision rifle suppressors coming out of that shop. And I, they kind of just get lost in the mix. And, and, and like I said, in my top two suppressors sitting here at the house, my AWC Thor is one of them. Well, a lot of people don't understand that about AWC too, is it's within strategic armory core, it's, it, it's, it's overlooked and for no ill will. Um, with suppressor, with the suppressor market as a whole, let's be honest. I mean, they've been dangling the uh, Hearing Safe Act in front of our face for yeah, what, the not. past year and a half now. So, as, from a consumer standpoint, what are you doing? You're, oh, I'm going to wait for them to pass the bill. I'm going to wait for them to pass the bill. Oh, they and talk about not, the bill. If you're waiting, don't wait. <laughs> yeah, if it's never, it's not happening anytime soon. But to get back to AWC, you know, it's. In, it's been around for 34 years, almost just as long as Macmillan. Uh, not quite as long, but just, almost just as long. Uh, it was started by Lynn, Lynn McWilliams. Uh, sorry, I'm getting feedback. Uh, Lynn McWilliams, after he, he got out of the Marine Corps, uh, got, out, got back from Vietnam, and he started up um, you know, AWC suppressors. And it started as a true custom shop. And what a lot of people don't know, too, is, you know, Phil Dater used to be one of the old owners of Gemtech. He used to work with Lynn uh, doing a lot of development stuff. But it kind of cut its teeth as being that that uh, all-around prototype suppressor company and with, you know, one-off custom-type stuff. And we have, as far as our, our main offerings, we do, you know, the Thor PSR uh, or just the standard PSR suppressors, which it's not a QD, it's not a fast attach, it's a it's a universal fitment fitment device. In in to use a different terminology than a QD break or a fast attach break, it's actually got a thread on the outside of it, and the can actually threads around this universal threading. So, for example, if you had a 308 TI can or a 308 stainless steel can that was a PSR designation. And Thor's are designated for, for titanium, by the way. 
you could get one muzzle brake if it was a 308 caliber can for your 223, your 65, or your 308 and have that same can go on that same universal fitment device if you had three muzzle brakes um, on e one, each, one PSR muzzle brake on each rifle. You could use that can across the board. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned AWC because I feel like Frank does that, that not a lot of people know about that. But, but back in the early days, Lynn McWilliams hired my brother to machine a lot of parts for him. So even before he had his own manufacturing capability, he just, uh, you know, outsourced a lot of the parts. And my brother did a lot of the machining for him. Um, I want to talk to you, Frank. Okay. Uh, one of the exciting things for me is a lot of people who knew you back in the early days of Sniper's Hide got to know Frank Galley, and you were synonymous with, with Sniper's Hide. And then you went away. You, I think you sold it, or uh, I'm not sure exactly it what. It was a that lease was. agreement. It was uh -huh. really a lease agreement. I was okay. trying to bring Sniper's Hide or precision rifle shooting to a bigger group. So I had an, uh, an opportunity to come into a, a sports network that originally started out as part of Fox Sports and then became Scout, and it was, it was a, a sport conglomerate. Well, they screwed that all up and ended up CBS bought it. CBS Sports uh, ended up buying Scout. And the day CBS bought Scout, I left and took all my stuff back. I never gave up control. It was really like they invited me to, to their strip mall and gave me free rent to put my, my product in their mall and, and give it access to that membership because at the time, Scout had 25 million members. And the idea was to bring it to a larger audience. Well, the precision rifle people didn't like that. And, and it turned out to be, and I had a contract. So when they broke the contract and through the sales of Scout, which it happened last year in March, I took everything off and left it. It took me about nine months to regain and redo everything. And then January of this year, I completely revamped the site, but it is a hundred percent back in my control. It's all brand new software, even to the degree I saw the YouTube thing coming. And in December of 17, I bought my own video platform. So if YouTube disappears for the gun industry, I have my own video where I'll never lose my stuff and I can host it myself. But then the new, the site is, is back up and running. It's full throttle again you know, and, and I'm managing it and doing everything that I was doing before. But yeah, I did take a step back at, during the scout years because I had a team from them to do all the heavy lifting and I just had to do a bit of content. Well, I'm really excited to hear that because uh, I have a, a sniper's hide has a really special place in my heart and in the development of a lot of my products. So uh, I want to talk about that some more. But we're, we're getting close to the end of our radio time. And before we do that, I want to get Cooper on. Uh, I want her to talk uh, to our listeners about what we've got going on with uh, social media. So, Cooper, share with us what you've got going on and where we're at today. Uh, we are kind of in the same place, nothing new. But I would like to uh, remind our radio listeners to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. We will, uh, starting when, mid-April, we will be doing Facebook Live as our main way to do the show. So make sure you like the page so you guys can continue watching it and listening and enjoying the show. 
And also we do want you guys to comment any questions or topics, anything you want to discuss because we love having you guys interact. So and we're doing it now. So please continue commenting. Sarah. And you wanted to say a shout out to one of our uh, viewers on Facebook who, uh, Oh, uh, Marshall, he said, uh, hi, Kelly, love my a five. I have another in production in your shop right now. So thank you for commenting it. Hey, Marshall. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Uh, we, love that you love your stock and we're happy to uh provide you with great stocks i don't know <laughs> well everyone who has been listening to the the show for any length of time knows that here at mcmillan we can some of you don't know that uh cooper's mother actually works for mcmillan fiberglass stocks as well she does our uh, accounts payable and cooper and laura spent an awesome what 10 12 days in europe Oh, 10 days, oh, including the travel days. I, I saw your pictures on Facebook. It, it was wonderful. Just give us just a couple of minutes of some of the coolest stuff that you did. Okay. In Paris, I finally got to see the Louvre, the Mona Lisa. It's just amazing. It is smaller than you would expect. So if you do go, just heads up. You know, it's about like three feet by, by four feet and it's behind glass and you can't get close to it. Um, but it was amazing and I'm so glad I went. Probably one of my favorite things was climbing to the top of Notre Dame. Uh, one of my favorite pictures is of me all bundled up because it was so cold there. It was freezing. Um, and then of course the architecture in, uh, Paris is just amazing. You can't beat it. And I requested a gargoyle picture. Yes. <laughs> and I did send it to him. Uh, and then in the United Kingdom, Probably my favorite thing was Stonehenge. It was just amazing to see the 5,000 years of history dating back. And it it's just amazing how well it is preserved. And it was very cool that we were able to go inside the circle, which is something I've always wanted to do. It was probably the main reason I went there <laughs> other than London. Well, I've always been impressed with Europe because when we think about things that are old in this country, um, we think about a couple of hundred years old. You know, if, mm -hmm. it, if the building is old in Phoenix, it's about 70 years old. Uh, but in Europe, we're talking about thousands of years, and it's, it's just amazing. So. And Rome is another good one. If, you have, if you're going, you got to go there. Well, one thing that I can tell you that you were impressed with was the food because it seemed like every other photograph you pictured, you, you posted on Facebook was the food. So <laughs> yes. Did you gain any weight while you were there? I did. I gained two pounds, <laughs> even though I was walking like 15 miles a day, but it was worth it. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to let everybody know that um, my wife and I actually traveled with Cooper's mom, Laura, and her husband, Bill. Uh, when we went to Europe or to Italy uh, for two weeks. So they're great people to, to travel with and really had a good time. And, and I'm glad you got that time to spend with your mom. You yeah. know, as you get older, these kind of things just don't happen every day. So cherish it while you can. Yeah, it was really nice. Okay, we've got about 30 seconds. Uh, I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in, and, and thanks for being loyal to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. It's been a, a really great run for us. Um, as Cooper mentioned, we're going to step away from the, the radio portion of it. We've got a couple of more shows, and I want you to make sure that you tune in for them. But this is going to be a, a video podcast only in a couple of weeks. So make sure 
all of you listeners, if you want to continue to stay in touch with Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan, that you check us out on Facebook and um, we'll keep you posted on where we're going to post the uh, videos so that you can see them at your leisure. So uh, once again, uh, today's Good Friday. Uh, it's a great Friday for me and I want you all to have a happy Easter and we'll be back with you next week on Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan and Voice America. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week.